We have two passages of scripture for today, for the second Sunday in Advent here. The first comes from Isaiah. It will be familiar to anyone who's heard Handel's Messiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for, for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, we have one of Jesus' parables that he tells here in chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other versions came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Well, I want to talk with you today, a continuation of what we were speaking about last week, which was preparing for Christmas. I want to share some thoughts about how you could make Christmas this year the most meaningful you have ever had. How you could have Christmas be a spiritual experience in your life. You see, there's a depth, a reality, a promise in Christmas. And this depth has nothing to do with the holiday or families or receiving gifts. It has to do with God's eternal promise that we can have a new life. We can start over. We can begin again, be born anew. And if we want that, it can happen in our lives. At the end of the musical Scrooge, about uh, Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol, and you know, Scrooge has had these visions, and, and he's totally had a change of heart, and at the end of the, the play, he sings, And I'll thank my lucky stars that I am able to begin again. We prepare for Christmas by starting now, by asking ourselves the question I mentioned last week, 
What do you want out of Christmas this year? Not what do you want for Christmas. What do you want out of Christmas? What do you want to happen to you this year, to you and to others? Do you want to bring joy to someone? Who? Do you want to feel the deeper meaning of the birth of Jesus? Do you want to be reborn? Do you want a lot of presents? Do you want some time alone just for you? You may aim high or low, but your dream will help decide what kind of Christmas it will be. You can choose to do nothing. You can wait and hope that somebody else will make it a good Christmas for you. And maybe they will. But what you do now can make a difference. You can choose to make it a good Christmas for someone else, and your own Christmas will be influenced. You see, your anticipation makes things happen. Just like your anticipation of someone's birthday can cause that birthday to become something very exciting, your anticipation gathers energy around it and causes things to happen. That's why we don't have Christmas boom like that. We have these four weeks, Advent, and the purpose of Advent is to build up anticipation for Christmas. To anticipate Christmas is to set aside a Thursday night to bake nut bread for some special person, surprising them and you. To make a handmade gift or to write a poem. To anticipate Christmas is to decide now that miracles are possible and that some are going to happen. It's to stand out in the backyard on a cold night and look at the stars and just remember that night that Jesus was born. To celebrate Christmas is to prepare for something great to happen to you. You have to do it by getting ready. Isaiah likes the image of getting a road ready, preparing a highway in the desert. John the Baptist picked up the same image and used it in the New Testament. Get the road ready for God to come into your life. I remember the first time that Maureen and I went to Africa. 1987, we went to look for a mission hospital that our church in Southern California could support and help. We drove all around the country of Malawi, and I remember people had tried to prepare me about driving in Africa. They said, Bill, now you just, just be ready. There are potholes the size of your car, and the roads are horrible there. So I was prepared, but when we got to the airport in Malawi, in the long way, we pulled out of the airport, we got a rental car, pulled out onto this road. It was the most beautiful four-lane tarmac I had ever seen in my life. You know how when a road is brand new, it's really black, and how the stripes are really white? This was just the most immaculate thing I had ever seen. I said, those people were really exaggerating. And then we got into town, we got to the missionary's house, the Dimmicks, where we were staying, and I realized, I found out what was happening. The Pope was coming the next week. <laughs> and the only road that he was going to go on was from the airport to the center of town and back. So that five miles of road was the only decent road in Malawi. I found that out after the rest of the trip was over. That one, they had gotten that one road perfect and ready for him to come. And then we have this amazing parable. I have a confession to make. 
I have never liked this parable. And I have not preached on it very often. I remember the first time I heard it, though. I was raised in a church that was very fundamentalist, very fire and brimstone, very kind of just judgmental, and a lot of hell and all that kind of stuff and fear. And one time, a visiting evangelist was speaking at our church, and he was even more fire and brimstone than our regular guy. And he chose this passage, which is a parable of judgment. This was his text, and he used it to, to get us to worry and to be, be afraid that we're going to be the ones shut out of the, the, the wedding. We're going to be the ones shut out into eternal darkness and torment of hell. And he closed his sermon by saying, and who will you spend eternity with? The five wise or the five foolish virgins? And my friend said, wow, what a choice. <laughs> Man. He wanted us to be afraid of what happened to the foolish virgins. So you got the picture, right? They all have lamps. Their oil lamps are full. But the five wise virgins have an extra thing of oil that they have taken, just in case. The other ones just have the regular amount of oil that's in the lamp. But an unexpected thing occurred. The groom was delayed. Now let me explain how a wedding works in those days. It's not like nowadays where the bridesmaids walk the bride down the aisle, they accompany her. In those days, the bride and the family and all the guests are already in the building where the wedding is going to happen. And the bridesmaid's job is to escort the groom into the wedding. That's their big job. They're going to stand outside and they're going to wait for the groom to come and escort him into the wedding. But we don't know when this wedding was supposed to start, but the groom doesn't show up until midnight. What, five, six, seven hours later? I don't know many grooms that could be that late and expect to still get married. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so he finally shows up at midnight, and so they've had, their, their oil has gone out, the, the ones that didn't bring the extra thing of the oil, you know, um, can you really blame them for not carting around an extra gallon jug of oil? I call them the, the five neurotic virgins, the, the worried virgins. My gosh. I mean, we all know that our car battery is going to go out someday, but do we keep a spare one in the trunk just in case? And then I've always been baffled at the response of the five so-called wise virgins. When their friends run out of oil and ask them to share, they refuse. They refuse. I've thinking, I think of them as the selfish, greedy, unchristian versions. Because they won't share with their friends. Now maybe this aversion to them comes from the fact that I'm a parent. And any of you who are parents know how much energy we put into teaching our kids to share. It's so important, right, that we teach them to share. Because sharing doesn't come naturally to kids. The third word that they learn after mommy and daddy is mine. Not share. 
So we, we have to go through elaborate rituals of teaching and teaching to teach our kids that it's it's, this is a Christian value and we're supposed to share. And so, so why does Jesus hold these virgins up that refuse to share as an example of wisdom? All of a sudden, one day I got it. A light went off and I realized what this was about. Jesus is pointing out that there's one thing that you cannot share, and that is your own preparation. You cannot share your personal preparation. Last week, I gave the, the image or the story of what would happen if Steve Main and I both decided to train for a marathon. In the six months, we're gonna run, we're gonna run a marathon together. We're gonna do it and check it off our bucket list. But in those six months, if Steve trains every day, runs farther and farther and farther, and I just sit and watch sports on TV, when the marathon comes and I'm dying at the second mile and he's doing great, no matter how much he loves me or cares about me, he cannot help me, can he? Because he cannot share his preparation with me. If two friends who've graduated from law school are getting ready for the bar exam, and one of them studies and studies and studies, day and night, weekends, and the other just kind of goes off, parties, has fun. No matter how much you might care about your friend, you cannot share your preparation. This is about some women who failed to do the one thing that they could do, is to prepare. So to have a spiritually satisfying Christmas, you have to prepare for it. No minister, no choir, no concert can give it to you. Only you can prepare your own heart. You can choose Christmas just as you can choose no Christmas. You can choose for nothing to happen to you this Christmas. You can hold on to your pain and your anger and your sadness, and many people do. Clyde Reed, in his little book, You Can Choose Christmas, has pointed out that many people hold on to their pain because at least it's a feeling, and that's better than no feeling at all. I have known quite a few, and I've hung on to hurt myself too long. And if our energy is too occupied holding on to our old pain and our old grievances, then there can be no Christmas for us, no birth of hope, no deep joy, but we choose, we make the choice to hold on or to let go. We choose our own happiness or our own lack of happiness. I've noticed uh, every year when I go and do my one day of shopping for Christmas, the third week in December, I take one day, I got my list, and I go to the mall, and I always hate it, I always dread it, dread it, but I've but I have noticed that when I'm doing that mall experience, there seem to be two kinds of people. There are some people who are having a good time. They're really enjoying it. They're, they're happy and excited about the gifts that they're gonna give other people. Then there's the other half of people who are just dreading it. They're just going through the motions. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, this is interesting. This is obviously a choice of an attitude, because both groups of people have the same actual experience. Both have the same lack of parking spaces. 
Both have the same long lines. Both have the same cranky checkout clerks. They have the same experience. But because of their attitude, some have chosen a different experience of going to the mall than others. I know you're saying, oh, but Bill, you don't understand. I've got 25 people coming to my house, including my mother-in-law who likes nothing. And I have a lot of pressure on me. I know, I know. But I wonder if some of the restrictions that we feel on our Christmas joy are really kind of imaginary and of our own doing. I heard the story of a man who was visiting the Ringling Brothers Circus in its headquarters in Sarasota, Florida one winter. And he was there and he was looking at the, uh, the elephants. And he noticed that every elephant had a big, thick rope tied around its foot. But the rope wasn't tied to anything else. And the man said, ah, there's a problem here. These elephants are not tied up. And the elephant handler said, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. We never tie them up. We just put the rope around their leg and drop the rope and they think they're tied up. They're not even tied up, but they think they are. How many, how many ropes are actually in our minds as opposed to around our feet or our hands that we have created by our own attitudes? One of my favorite writers is Robert Fulgham and he wrote about Christmas, he said, I usually draw up a heavy-duty things-to-do list about this time of year. I'm a black belt at lists. I even have lists of lists. Seven pages of expectations that are in themselves enough to permanently destroy the spirit of Christmas. But this year, I started from somewhere else in my mind. New list. One page. A things-to-be list. Concentrating on the feelings I wanted to have the condition of mind and spirit I yearned for, the quality of life I wanted to manifest, the vibrations I wanted to give off to other people, a things-to-be list for Christmas. And then I boiled the list down into one word, and I wrote that word on a tiny little piece of paper, and I wrapped it around a candy cane, and I ate it. Well, sure, it's a little crazy, but since when is Christmas supposed to make sense? I suppose you want to know what that one word was. Nope. you got to work it out for yourself. Like Christmas, if it ain't inside of you somewhere, all the lists in the world won't make it happen. And the last thing that you can do to have this Christmas be the most meaningful one you've ever had is to give a gift to Jesus. You know, they talk about the, how hard it is to give a gift to the person who has everything. Jesus is kind of like the perfect example of that, right? I mean, he created the universe. He sits on the right hand of God the Father. What are you going to give Jesus? Well, luckily, he, he made it easy for us. In the last parable that he ever told, right after this virgin's one, he told about the separating of the sheep and the goats. And he said, he gave the criteria of how you're going to be judged, how the nations and the individuals are judged. And it's just four simple things. You feed people who are hungry. You give water to those who are thirsty. 
you visit those who are in jail and you give clothes to those who are naked. Those are the four things that he talked about. So, so shelter, food, water, and care. He said, and then when he said, when you do this to the quote, least of these, my brothers, the least of these, he said, you're actually doing it to me. So the way that we can give a gift to Jesus, to God, and to, to have a spiritual experience is to give a gift to the poorest. It's to, it's to go down and, and, and work at the soup kitchen. It's to go over to the alternative gift market and decide that you're going to give a, an operation, eye operation to somebody who can't see or some chickens for somebody to raise that doesn't have any money. When you do that, when you tutor uh, children, when, when you give a gift to those who are in need, that's what makes your heart filled with love at Christmas time. So God gave us this wonderful, wonderful, easy opportunity to make our Christmas incredibly meaningful. And we do that by giving a gift to Jesus. Amen.